Week four of the Backroads podcast is here, and we got so much coming at you. Some big games in Division One and Division Two. Uh, some very interesting news, notes, talk about volleyball rankings, and so much more here on the Backroads podcast. So let's get this thing started. I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. How you doing, Craig? How was your week? It was fantastic. It was. And, you know, here's the fun part is we got a great interview coming up. And I, I can't wait. Let's just get to it. All righty. Well, Bobby, let's get the program started. And uh, we want to talk to, uh, as we do every week, a coach. And a coach that we've got on the line right now is one who I know has got to be happy. Although uh, every time I talk to him, he's always telling me that they could do better. And that's Coach uh, Daniel Hinojosa over at Amherst. Coach, welcome in this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Coach, your team playing really, really well. You're ranked now in the top 10 in Division Two. You just got a big victory Friday night over Spring Lake Earth. Talk to us about that victory over the Wolverines. You know, we fell down, I think, 14 or, yeah, 14-0. You know, we came out a little a little suspect, and uh, I think part of it was our kids just wanted to continue to improve from last week. And, and uh, you know, after they scored their second timeout or their second touchdown, I just told them, I said, hey, guys, you, you got one or two choices. You can make the Super Bowl or you can come out and play the Amherst, the Amherst way and uh, get after it. And when the game ends, it ends. You know, it doesn't – and everything else doesn't matter if, if you don't play the way we've been playing since you guys were sixth graders. So they came out, they settled down, and, and we took a 16-14 lead at halftime. From then on, we were up, you know, 10 to 12 points the rest of the game, and then they scored a touchdown late. But kudos to, to Swan Lake Earth. Those kids played hard. Coach Ball does a great job out there. Luckily, we had some breaks go our way, and, and our kids responded well and came out with the win. Now, in fairness, for those folks out there, I've been on the Amherst train since the start of the season. I saw you guys play over at Whiteface at the scrimmage, and you know, you and I talked before we got started, but one of the players that really impresses me with your team is Joel Garcia, the sophomore. Talk about what a presence he is both offensively and defensively for the Bulldogs. Well, Joel's one of those kids that uh, he's been a water boy since I guess he was in the third grade, so... You know, he got to see the system, you know, firsthand every day. So he knows it as about as well as anyone. And, uh, you know, when you're a six foot one and a half, six foot two sophomore and you're 205 and you can run, it makes a big difference. And and offensively, you know, he can throw the ball, you know, the length of the field if he chooses to. I mean, it, he's overthrown a couple of my kids by about 15, 20 yards, and I'm sitting there going, take some off it. He said, Coach, I did. So <laughs> – you know, he's just one of those kids who, uh, who you know, is awfully coachable. And on defense, you know, he's a hoss. You know, I played with free safety, and I had a kid who was, a you know, an all-stater, you know, five, six years ago who was a stud back there. And, and Joel's going to be probably better than he was. He's just a sophomore, so I'm hoping I can get him up to about 225. So, and then, you know, you told me that you only have eight players on the team. What disadvantages do you see with that? But then what advantages do you see? Because I got to think that your kids are very, very close and willing to give you everything they've got. The disadvantage is, you know, practice. I'm I'm in the situation where our kids believe in our system. They've been in our system. Uh, we can transition in and out of different formations. Kids can play multiple positions. Them being in the system, knowing the system is a huge advantage. Again, I can move kids around anywhere. And they can play anywhere. The other night, you know, uh, Joel went down with cramps, and I moved my my uh, Mike linebacker to safety, 
moved my defensive end to Mike linebacker and then brought in a kid who doesn't normally play defensive end, put him down the defensive line and we didn't miss a beat. So that's, you know, that's a huge advantage having that many kids because you can work them all in and practice on offense and defense and get tons of reps for them. And uh, so that's a blessing. And, but at the same token, you know, when you're hitting dummies every day, you know, you're blocking dummies. In all due fairness, we have gone away from full contact. I am, a, you know, I am old school in terms of contact. I think if you're not hitting, you're not playing. And uh, this year I was like, and, you know, you've seen us. We're physical. We are physical as all get out. Since the Grady game week one, we have not been live in practice. Wow. All we do is tackle dummies. Wow. Well, and you talked about physical. You're right. Your team was physical. I want to talk about a young man that you've got in your team, though, too. And and I don't know what role he plays, but he is super, super small. And I believe you called him Paco. Talk, talk about that young man because he wasn't afraid to put his nose in there against kids twice his size. Yeah, uh, his name is actually Chewy. It's, uh, it's real common in our culture that if a kid is named Jesus or Jesus, you call him Chewy, you know, you don't want to insult the, the original there. But uh, so his name is Chewy Matan, and uh, he's all a 4'10", 4'11", and I think 88 pounds or 89 pounds. And he's actually starting for me at corner, has been starting for me since after that white face scrimmage. So he's just real coachable, real smart, real high IQ for football. And, you know, he knows how to use his, his you know, what little body he does have, he knows how to use it. I mean, he will come up and wrap wrap around low and hang on for dear life. I think against Blake Earth, he had three pass breakups, you know, for a kid that's half the size of everyone else. And he had like three or four tackles and, you know, people pick on him. They see him out there and they're going to go at him and, and he doesn't back down. And, uh, you know, he had, we had a kid go out in a sprained ankle in the first quarter against Lake Earth. So I was actually down with seven. I finished that game with seven. The kid didn't come back. Chewy stepped in and had two catches for 60 something yards. So, you know, he's fearless and, you know, he got lit up on both of them, but he caught the ball and maintained it. And uh, he's just tough, tough, tough. And the kids, you know, love him to death because he does give you everything he has. That, that's fabulous, Coach. I, I got to tell you, 4'11", 88 pounds, Bobby, that, that is the mark of a warrior there. If you're still getting in there playing with, with kids uh, the size that are out there, and, and you're right, Chewy is willing to get in there. So, you know, you look at this thing, and, and you start looking at Region 1, and your Bulldogs right there with Whitharrow are going to be prohibitive favorites in Division 2. How do you keep your team focused saying, hey, let's look just at the next game and not looking down the road saying, hey, coach, we're pretty good? Well, uh, part of it is just our our nature. You know, I, I rarely ever discuss wins and losses with the kids. I, I think uh, if you do the little things, the big things take care of themselves, so we focus on the little things. I tell our kids, you're the most disciplined guys on the on the field. You execute better than the other guys. You're going to have a chance in every game. It doesn't matter who you're playing. We don't look ahead. Uh, I tell the boys, you know, you look at who we're playing right now and you let me worry on Saturday and Sunday to the next week. When you get here on Monday, I will let you know what you need to know. And I will tell you what the game plan is and you don't worry about who's playing who or who's playing what. When Monday arrives, you better be focused on what it is we're discussing on in our skull session and who we need to stop this week 
for us to have a chance to be successful. That's great, Coach. Hey, let me ask you. So we, we like to talk to all of our coaches because six-man football is obviously different than 11-man, and it's a love. Where did your love for coaching and coaching six-man football come from? Actually, uh, I was an 11-man coach for about 18, 19 years, and I was a defense coordinator. And you know, it was one of those deals where you're you're sitting up in the office at that level, and you know you're you're spending, you know, Friday night up there till about two or three a.m. Get up there at seven, work all day Saturday, go and play some golf Sunday morning, and then go back to the <laughs> office, and you know, go from about noon to about seven or eight o'clock at night. And it starts wearing on me. I was actually on the verge of getting completely out of coaching. Mike Ritchie, a guy I know, uh, I worked with him before. He was a principal out here, and, and he said, hey, man, you know, you may want to come and give this a try. And I'd been over at Knox City when they dropped down to from 11-man to 6-man. You know, back then I didn't I didn't really enjoy the experience of 6-man because I, I, I saw a lot of – if you have the best kid on the field – you were more than likely going to win. You know, you toss it back there and, you know, if he's if he's better than the other six cats you got on defense, you're going to win. And I am a, a hardcore, you know, hey, coaching is, is, is chess. You know, let's move the pieces in the right place. So I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. And then when Mike called me, he was like, hey, we just want you to come over and help out with the discipline. You know, help our test scores and stuff like that. So I said, you know what? I'll, I said, I'll give it a try. And uh, when I came over here, it took me a couple of years to transition into it to where I could take all the knowledge that I had from 11 man and try to put it into a six man system where we could be very, very disciplined and things would be on time and kids had rules and we would have the answer for, for any question that could pop up in a game. And uh, you've seen us. I mean, we are very disciplined. You see our routes. You know, the ball comes out on time. When we run our sweeps, we have, you know, we have blocking rules. And then that's whenever I started to go, okay, I could do this for an extended period of time. And and then, you know, and just the kids in nature, uh, you find smaller classrooms and you find kids who who are, you know, if they're playing football at this level, it's because they want to be out there. They enjoy the game and they enjoy working hard. And I think that's that's a big difference. I think that that is what draws me and keeps me at this level is that the kids are willing to just bust their butt and work extremely hard. And I think every six-man community, you know, experiences that. Those kids are out there. It is not easy. You know, they, you have to be in extremely good shape. 11-man, you can sit half the game and you're okay. Uh, <laughs> six man, like we got, we got eight kids. Those kids are playing a lot of snaps. It's just one of those. I'm, I think that's, that's what has made it fun for me. And has kept me, you know, engaged as long as it has is, is the fact that the kids, I mean, the kids work extremely hard and, and, you know, when you go play someone else that their kids are going to play extremely hard. Well, coach, um, where did you grow up and did you play? And um, how is it different than than what you experienced when you were in high school? I grew up in Rawls, Texas. You know, uh, I think the game back then was was uh, was a lot simpler. Uh, I think kids overall one A through six A now. I guess back then it was you know one A through through five A, but and six man. But I think kids back then were were a little bit tougher. 
I think the parents weren't weren't as involved, you know, living vicariously through their kids. You know, I, I think you were allowed to make, you know, to make that journey. Uh, you know, if you came home with a sprained ankle, you couldn't cry to mama and mama wouldn't be upset. She'd be like, well, you need to toughen up and it's your fault you wanted to play. And, and I think times have changed from, from those days. So now I see kids, you know, and, and I'm fortunate that I am where I am, where I'm at because our kids are tough as nails. You know, I, I just think it, it's, it's a different society. It's, it's a different way. I think coaching back then also, you know, it was not a big deal. Uh, I, you know, my head coach was uh, George Doak and coach Doak would swing the board. No ands if or buts about it. You know, we still swing the board here. He was, he looked like George straight with muscles and we were all scared of him. Oh my. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and, and Rawls was 80, 80, 85% Hispanic at that time. And, and, you know, you had tons of Catholics and he was at the Catholic church and all them Hispanic mamas loved him to death. So he said that, Hey, this kid's done wrong. You know, they were like, okay, then you do what you want to him. And, and he pop us. He didn't care. And I think that's changed that, that mentality where you could, where you could punish kids and not have to worry about, Oh, well, you know, so-and-so may get upset or whatever. I think that has changed as well. Uh, I do think our kids now overall are smarter. Uh, I think they grasp more concepts. And I think part of that is as much as I hate gaming, I think part of that is, is that a lot of these kids grow up on Madden, you know? So whenever you start talking about coverage, they know coverage. Whenever you start talking about a certain pass route, they know what you're talking about. And I guess that's one advantage of it. But at the same time, some of those kids never get out of that game. And they're like, well, you know, this is safe. I don't get hit here. So. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. That's a great comparison there, coach. So, so let me ask you this, coach. As somebody who was in the 11-man world for so long, what, what differences have you seen in coaching from 11-man 11 11 to 6-man? Because most 6-man coaches talk about what a small, tight-knit community it, it is and how much everybody's willing to help each other. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is, that is true. You know, 6-man communities are more – they're close-knit. And part of it is because, you know, you look at our team, you know, last year I had – a set of brothers and four cousins on my team out of 12 kids. They live all within two or three blocks of each other. They all hang out at one, you know, at, at someone's house. Like you would drive in Amherst and you could tell where all my kids were at because they were hanging out at one kid's house, all sitting on the front porch, just talking. So I think that is big. I think the, the, the communities are more willing to help. I also believe that, that in the 11 man, you know, it's more of a business in terms of there is a lot more pressure to win at that level because, you know, they, they pay a lot better, number one, you know, in some cases. But number two, it's the livelihood of other coaches because the staffs are so much bigger, are dependent, and you're intertwined. And, you know, you have to, whether you like it or not, you have to, to sit there and cut out some of those ties that at this level you can you can share with people. Like I said, the communities, they're just, they're just so, you know, they're just so close and, and they're, and you're right. They help with whatever they can. You know, they do what they can in terms of, Hey, you know, 
you know, the fifth quarter, you know, making sure that the kids are here for practice, making sure that they're not missing. Parents will come up and drop their kids off and be like, coach, sorry, they're late. You know, they'll come up and talk to you. To me, I think that's a big, big difference between the two. I'm not saying that one's better than the other. Just that that one little thing is what I've noticed is, you know, when it's a lot different when you have 2,000 people yelling at you about how big of a of an idiot you are as opposed to when there's 55 up there. I mean, <laughs> I'll take the 55. <laughs> well, Coach Hinojosa, we do appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Fabulous uh, conversation we had with you. Love your insight. And uh, I'm telling you, you got a heck of a ball club, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing you uh, deep in the playoffs. Best of luck to your Bulldogs, and uh, best of luck for the rest of the season. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Hopefully we uh, we can continue to improve and, and you know, keep our heads screwed on right and, and see what see what we can do. Thank you, Coach. Thank you all. Thank you for having me. Bobby, that was a fabulous interview there with uh, Coach Hinojosa. And uh, I'm telling you, the Amherst Bulldogs are a team to be reckoned with. Like I say, I saw them at the Whiteface scrimmage. They impressed me there. And I know I could see by the look in your face, you were impressed is his conversation about Joel Garcia his best player at, at 6'2 and about 205. I'm telling you, when you got a player like that, and don't forget, he said he could run. <laughs> that, that's the key right there. If you're a big old boy and you're strong and you can run, uh, you're going to do well in six man. So I can't wait to get out to see Amherst play a game here pretty soon. Well, and, and we talked about it. Amherst. Number 10 in Division Two, maybe going up because they did beat the 10th-ranked team in Division One. That was the Spring Lake Earth Wolverines, 52-48. to 48. That's a big win. You just don't see that oftentimes, D2 beating a D1 when both of them are ranked in the top 10, but Amherst pulled it off. They did, and I think that was a really good game. Uh, if anyone was there and would like to tell us about it, just <laughs> message us because <laughs> – uh, I think it was, you know, pretty much back and forth for a while there. It definitely was. Well, let's get this party started, and we'll uh, we'll just stay in Division One. How about that? And uh, right off the bat, the top-ranked Westbrook Wildcats, no problem with Spur. It's definitely a down year for the Bulldogs. Uh, Westbrook wins it 52-6. to Keegan Gilbreth, two carries, 46 yards, two touchdowns. Hey, catch the ball, you score. Parker Matlock, a 43-yard touchdown to Aiden Sullivan. Spur was held to eight total yards in this ball game. So if you combine that with the negative yardage they gave up to Rankin last week, uh, Westbrook's defense has proven to be a very, very tough uh, since that uh, opening game loss to Knox City. Yeah, it has. Uh, probably the loss woke them up a little bit, and perhaps they are seeking some some revenge. Maybe not revenge. That's a That's a strong word, isn't it? I just led right into that. Well, that's a, maybe not revenge, but uh, they definitely are looking to prove a point. That's for sure. Thank you for digging me out of that hole. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up Knox City, number two, Knox City, and number five, Rankin in a barn burner. And uh, this one was close for a while, but then Knox City just simply ran away from the Red Devils. Well, they are Greyhounds, so I guess they would run away from the Devils. And uh, 77 to 32, Cameron Hernandez, 13 carries, 223 yards and four touchdowns. Bryson Callaway, 5 of 14, 118 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Devin Guillory, my favorite wide receiver out there in six-man land, three receptions, 89 yards, and three touchdowns. That's called making the most of when the ball gets thrown to you. Three catches, 
three touchdowns. For Rankin, Barrett-Jackson, 18 carries, 180 yards, and four touchdowns. So, Knox City with another big win, this time over number five, Rankin. Number three, Gordon, all over Waco Live Oak, 58-8. to Bobby, I don't have any stats from this one, but I might have the note of the day on this one. I you saw that video. I saw that video, and it was insane. I think it was on Sports Center. I think it was on Max Preps. I think any... Anything like that, it was on there. Remember the guy with the magical leg? I do. Number 13, Gordon Longhorn. He was kicking a PAT, and it went right into the window of a car that was driving by at the end of the football field on the road. They were at Live Oak, and you're right. Uh, Juan Davila Cabrera with that uh, big left foot of his nailed it through the uprights. And he made much more than that. It, it kind of looked like a, uh, it looked like a do perfect uh, setup there, Bobby, because he kicks it through the uprights and the white SUV drives by with windows down, and he says, "Hey, I got a parting gift for you as you drive by. Here's a football to take home with you," and uh, just just fabulous. I, I love that. Only in six man land would you see that happen to begin with. Well, and somebody was recording it, so and you know they're like, "Hey, check this out," and send it everywhere. It's a fabulous video. Um, I was sent that video, so I'm going to ask if I can go ahead and put it up on our podcast web page. So <laughs> it's incredible to watch. It's kind of funny. It's like if there was a passenger in that car, I couldn't tell. Uh, but something like a football landing in your lap may be a little surprise. Well, in, in my luck, I would have drinks have been sitting in the passenger side. And uh, they just went everywhere. I'm sure that's what would have happened to me. <laughs> well, you know, that's true. Um, but I did get some stats. And I know I normally don't do the stats. But since I have them and you don't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> see. Okay. So we got um, Braden Walters, three interceptions for 137 yards and two touchdowns. Riley Reed, seven rushes on 118 yards with two touchdowns. Noah Costija was three of three passing for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Juan Cambrera, okay, remember, magical leg, dude, was go. a perfect seven of seven on extra points. And obviously, he's become quite famous in the last 24 hours because so was of that he video. Seven? Was he 7-7 seven seven or was he really 8-for-8? Eight eight? Because he hit two PATs in one. Well, that is a very good question. You know what? Because it's so rare and I have never seen that happen before, I'm going to go ahead and call it 8-for-8. Eight eight. Hey, I like that. I like that. So Gordon all over Waco Live Oak. 58 8. Go check out the video. You can't miss it. It is fantastic to watch. Number four, Abbott. No problem with buying them a 50 to nothing. Bad boy Riley Sistala. Seven carries, 154 yards, four touchdowns. He also had a passing touchdown. And uh, Joy Pavelka, the guy who says, I can do more than play defense. Two receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. He did have nine tackles, five of those behind the line of scrimmage, proving that Joy Pavelka, one of the best defensive players in six man football. Did you just change Sestala's name? I would Did you never slip do that. that in there. I would never do that. <laughs> oh, he's been the choir boy. He's staying the choir boy. I don't care if he likes it or not. I mean, it fits him. If you see his picture, and if you look at Pavelka, his picture looks like 
Johnny from the Outsiders. <laughs> um, Neither one of us are ever going to be allowed to go to another Abbott game. You know that, don't you? I know. I know. Because those kids are going to be like, oh, my gosh, what nickname are they going to give us this time? <laughs> I know. But you know it's what? It's all respect, Bobby. It's all respect. It is because I respect the heck out of those Abbott Panthers. I'm telling you, they're they're quite something. And um, I think that people are kind of not paying attention to them very much right now. I think you're right. Well, speaking of teams not being uh, paid much attention to, that is the Whiteface Antelopes, 60 to nothing over Anton. Ethan Kaufman, six carries, 132 yards, four touchdowns, also threw a 58-yard touchdown pass in this one. The Antelopes are for real, folks. I'm telling you now. Just, just listen to me. Number seven, May over Garden City, 49 to 30. Braden Steele in this one. I think the coach might know him. 12 carries, 273 yards, five touchdowns, four of 11 through the air, 130 yards and two touchdowns. He also had 12 tackles and said, Dad, move over. I bet you I can call just as good an offense as you can, and that's what he did. Jackson Lusk, three receptions, 64 yards and a touchdown. Also had 14 tackles in this one and an interception. For Coach Jones and his Bearcats, Blaine Waltz, 18 rushes for 87 yards and a touchdown. And Denton Rowe, 12 carries for 68 yards and a touchdown. And the cool note from this one, and I got this off the uh, sixmanfootball.com. Uh, I, I think it was there for him. It may have been on Facebook. I don't remember where I saw it. But apparently one of the May kids ended up uh, with a broken leg in this one. And uh, Coach Jones was the first coach there. Then all the team from Garden City came around and helped pray for him. You and I both know Coach Jones is a fabulous guy. And it just proves once again that he is. And it just proves what six-man land is all about. Um, you know, I, I don't know the name of the young man who got hurt in that one, but uh, our our thoughts and prayers with him, ho uh, hoping for a speedy recovery. But, uh, you know, the, the May folks were really impressed that Jeff Jones was the man right there first on the spot. And I think that's really cool. Oh, it is. And I have no doubt that he would do that for every single kid on a field. No doubt at all. No doubt whatsoever. Number eight, Jonesboro over Newcastle. Hey, this is a good one. Fifty to 38 Newcastle they're not in the top 10 but if you're playing within 12 of Jonesboro division one team the Bobcats are a team to watch out for coach Archer says Shh, don't don't say a word we're just going to keep on playing don't say anything I got you coach Archer but uh I guarantee you uh, people are going to start paying attention to the Newcastle Bobcats in this one Jonesboro wins it 50 to 38 number nine happy all over crest 68 to 22 this game ended via the 45-point mercy rule. 13 seconds into the second half as Happy scored two times on the first three plays of the game to get out of this one. It was a wild and crazy one. Joy Blackman, 87 yards rushing, three touchdowns, two receptions, 111 yards receiving, including one of those for 76 yards and two touchdowns. Noe Juarez only completed four passes, but those went for 169 yards and three touchdowns. And the big man, Quay Hodges, had a receiving touchdown. And believe it or not, Bobby, he was rumbling, bumbling, stumbling for a kickoff return for a touchdown. And I thought we were going to have to give him oxygen afterwards. But Quay <laughs> Hodges with a kickoff return, he's been wanting to do that forever, and he finally was able to pull it off. <laughs> you know, that's got to be so exciting for him. And, you know, Quay's a big boy, so – I mean, that's a that's a ways to go for him because he's he's usually a defensive beast. I don't really see him as an offensive threat, but obviously he is. <laughs> well, I think once he got done and got the oxygen about 10 minutes later, he got in Coach Perryman's ear and said, hey, coach, I want to run the ball. And coach said, 
man, you got to get in better shape if we're going to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he might start running. And <laughs> I mean, you know, if you look at Clay Hodges, that coming at you, can you imagine running no. at you with the ball? I would be like, dude, I mean, yeah. I guess you could just like hang off one leg or something. I don't know. <laughs> and Quay's one of those kids that uh, he just, he wants to initiate contact. I don't know how many times I've seen him initiate contact. It's just what he wants to do. So yeah, I'm not so sure I'd want to step in front of that big old freight train either, but uh, <laughs> he, he gets the kickoff return for a touchdown. <laughs> So let's go to Division Two and the top-ranked Benjamin Mustangs. No problem with Guthrie, sixty-two to nothing. And uh, the highlights in this one: Keegan Hayes, a fifty-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Speaking of kickoff returns, Talon Hayes, a twenty-yard interception return for a touchdown. Weston Weatherford, an eighteen-yard fumble return for a touchdown. This game must have gotten out of hand in a hurry because the stats show that Grayson Rigdon didn't carry the ball. He threw it twice for 65 yards and a touchdown and had two receptions for 60 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, only uh, four touches on the offensive side for the uh, reigning six-man MVP in Division Two, But Benjamin didn't need it as they uh, destroy the Jaguars 62 to nothing. Jaden all over Petersburg. The number two Jaybirds 52 to nothing. Coach Stanland's team keeps marching right along in a really fun and entertaining game. Klondike beats Sands 86 to 56 and a shout out to Ty Keith and what he's trying to accomplish there at Sands uh that's a good Klondike team and I had heard rumors I'd seen it on the board saying you know people talking about hey Sands is going to play Klondike better than you expect and I kind of looked at those and went well okay you know but they did they were hung right there with them uh, toe for toe for a really long time but the Cougars finally able to pull that one off 86 to 56 and uh you just gotta love it when you got two two coaches that you and i know very very well and uh coach DeGraff and reed and coach keith going after it in that ball game bobby oh i'm telling you and you know there's something that people don't understand and sands and klondike are just not very many miles down the road from each other now i'm not saying it's a rivalry like strong gordon but it is a rivalry nonetheless klondike had pepper back at quarterback I think they kind of eased him into it um, because, you know, when you play your rival, it, you know this, Craig, it doesn't matter who it is. Both teams are so sky high, ready to play each other. They're going to play their best. That that they are, and they did. So Klondike wins that one, 86-56. Number four, Whit Harrell decided to show Dora, New Mexico, that Texas is better than New Mexico as they beat them 56-6. Brent Robinson, three carries, 111 yards, two touchdowns. Landon Lee, four carries, 60 yards, and a touchdown. And my man, Nomar Gomez, one reception, 15 yards, and a score in that one. Number five at Cherokee, all over Bluffdale, 56-6. Cherokee, the Indians, they're really good, folks. Just pay attention. Number six, Rochelle in a barn burner with Lamita, and they win this one 70-59. And speaking of barn burners, uh, Coach Parsley, who we had on the show just a couple of weeks ago, if he can't score 80 points, I guess he just doesn't want to play the ball game anymore. I don't know. He beats Motley County 82 to 52. Kroll's got to be the highest scoring team out there in six man land. They've got to be as many points as they have put on the board. Uh, but uh, they win this one in a back and forth battle 82 to 52. I'm going to have to get Lehman on that. <laughs> yeah, I'll no send kidding. him down that rabbit hole. 
Hey, hey, Bobby, just just word of warning. You don't have to send him down that rabbit hole. I guarantee as soon as he heard me say that, he went down that rabbit hole. So he did, and then I'll get a random text. So I I love the random text because I they're really good information. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, Oglesby. We had Coach Dixon on last week, and he was talking about Frederick's heritage, Fredericksburg heritage, if I can spit that out. And uh, getting some players back, but uh, the Tigers, no problem. Coach Dixon had them ready. They defeat uh, Fredericksburg Heritage 54-8. to And then finally, uh, that, so that kind of wraps up Division One and Division Two. But uh, let's look at some other games because there were some dandies out there. And uh, one of the ones, Silverton over Weatherford Christian, 59-12. to Sawyer Francis, remember that name, folks. Fourth straight game over 150 yards rushing at 167 yards in this one on only seven carries, three touchdowns. Also had a kickoff return for a touchdown. Zayden Ortiz, four of six through the air for 41 yards and two touchdowns. Also caught two balls for 68 yards and a touchdown and had an interception return for a touchdown. So Zayden Ortiz busy there for Coach Hearn and the Owls. Miami, that's one of those teams sitting on the outside, uh, kind of knocking on the door in Division One, uh, sixteen to sixteen at halftime. But then the Warriors run away from the Dragons, fifty-six to twenty-eight, outscored them forty to twelve there in the second half. Hayden Thompson, twenty carries, three hundred and eighteen yards and five touchdowns, three of six through the air for forty-seven yards. Also had twelve tackles and an interception that he returned for a touchdown. Uh, no truth to the rumor that uh, he decided to uh, get on Coach DJ Howell's uh, lifting regime and uh, decided to outbench him that night uh, after that kind of a ball game. But uh, we'll try and confirm those rumors. And then Luke Wheeler is running, buddy. Four carries, 31 yards, two touchdowns, and 10 tackles. How about this game, Bobby? Union Hill, 67, Milford. 65. What a ball game. Devin Espinosa, 22 carries, 185 yards and seven touchdowns, 36 yards receiving and a touchdown. And EJ Mowry, 17 carries for 173 yards. 67-65. That had to have been a whale of a ball game to be at. Well, I got tired just watching the back and forth on Twitter when they uh, they were pushing those scores out because it was crazy. I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth. And at one point, I really thought Milford had it in hand. But nope, here comes Union Hill storming back. So, yeah, whoever was at that game, a lot of Bulldogs played really hard. <laughs> hey, the good thing about that one is a Bulldog was going to win no matter what. That's true. That is Just... true. Look at me with the dad jokes. I see. You're, you're catching on in a hurry. You're catching on in a hurry. <laughs> well, now, I kind of felt left the out. audience may not appreciate you doing that, but. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, it happens. Maybe the game of the night occurred a Thursday night in overtime. Yeah, a rare overtime game in six-man football. Valley defeats Nazareth 33-32. to Believe it or not, John Staniland in Valley and Tyler Goodwin in Nazareth, neither one of them had participated in an overtime game before. So that's kind of tells you how rare it is. But neither one of them had been in one. Valley wins it 33-32. to Valley is up in this one 20-18 when Damian Valdez intercepts a pass with 109 left to go off of Will Young. Takes it back for the score, puts them up 26 to 18. You think, okay, ball game. Problem is, Valley missed the two point conversion. So ha uh, Nazareth gets the ball back, and Will Young finds Kale Rogers on a 35 yard touchdown pass. They do get the two point conversion from Alejandro Guerrero. That ties it up. 
And so we went to overtime. Both teams got a shot from the 25-yard line. Nazareth puts it in, Will Young to Kale Rogers, but they missed the two-point conversion. Valley gets the ball back. Malachi Farley plunges in from one yard out. They decide, Coach Stanland decides to go for the one-point conversion instead of kicking it. He had two play call, two play calls on. He looked at the defense. He checked down to his other play call, and that was a bootleg, which was the perfect one. He rolled to his left, found a wide open cash period for the one point conversion, and Valley wins that one 33 to 32. Valdez in this one, seven of 14 for 90 yards passing and two touchdowns. He also had a uh, kickoff return for a touchdown, an interception return for a touchdown. Cashbury, uh, two receptions, 53 yards, and a touchdown, including that one-point game winner. And the big man, Tucker Schleter in this one, 19 tackles. Uh, our good friend, uh, Kale Steed from Press Pass Sports was there. He said that Schleter was an absolute monster in this one, just all over the field, and it shows 19 tackles in this one. And, folks, Tucker Schleter goes about six two, 240 pounds, but he can move for a big man, improving why he uh, is definitely one of those uh, people that you should be looking at as a uh, all-stater. For Nazareth in this one, Will Young, 10 of 15, 192 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Kale Rogers, uh, just as good, four receptions, 93 yards and three touchdowns. What a ball game in Valley, 33-32, the Patriots win it. That's crazy. I saw the end of that game. There was a video of the end of that game. I think it was uh, Pete Christie on KCBD, and it was insane. I bet that place was loud. Oh, you know it was. <laughs> you know it was. Uh, also, some other games. Maybe the stat line of the night. Now, Headley defeats Patton Springs 64-43. to Listen to this for Nick Clark for Headley. 21 carries, 347 yards rushing, 9 touchdowns, 17 tackles, a sack. And he would have drove the bus, but Headley was already at Headley, so he couldn't do that. But uh, what a game there for Nick Clark. Bobby, nine touchdowns and 17 tackles. I bet he was worn completely out. I wonder if he got out of bed late yesterday because, wow, that was a very good showing. You don't <laughs> it, see that often. Nine touchdowns and 17 tackles. Exactly. On top of just 347 yards rushing, you know. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How about this one? You and I both looked at this one uh, coming into this week. Highland and Erion County. Two teams knocking on the door of the top ten. Highland wins it. Folks, the Hornets are for real. Another one of those games where a Hornet was going to win. But the Highland Hornets take it 50-42. to 42. Cooper Bowen, 23 carries, 234 yards and four touchdowns. Braxton Smith, 120 yards passing through the air and two touchdowns. And one of your favorite players, Tylen Balthrop, 14 tackles in this one as Highland wins it 50-42 to 42 in another really good ball game. Oh, my goodness. Of course he got that many tackles. I'm telling you, that kid's just going to get better and better and better. He's a sophomore, and he's going to figure out where to go and when to be there, and it's going to be really sad for the opposing team. And then finally uh, – White Deer over Will Dorado, 26-22. Brody Weathers, 163 yards rushing and a touchdown. Davin Hex, 79 yards rushing and two touchdowns in this one. Aiden Woodard went over 100 yards rushing for the Mustangs one more time. But uh, the Dirty Dozen there for Coach Rucker win this one uh, in a low-scoring affair, 26-22. to 
One last game I want to touch on, Bobby, before we kind of get to our news and notes, and that is the High Island Cardinals taking on the Pasadena First Baptist Warriors. So the Warriors are a TAPS Division II team who made the finals last year and they're ranked number two this year. They were defeating High Island 65 to nothing in the first quarter, and I guess that's when High Island decided they had had enough. They decided to forfeit this game. So Pasadena First Baptist wins it 1-0, to zero, but 65 to nothing in the first quarter. Wow. Uh, that's, that's terrible. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that's just terrible. Oh, my goodness. So that's kind of a look at everything that went on in week four around uh, six-man land. And, of course, we got news and notes as Bobby likes to uh, write things down and, and so many things that, that people put out there. And let's start with the year of the scoreboard and scoreboard gremlins because you got some great stories here. Oh, my gosh. Well, we talked about Covington last week. That one just started changing numbers on its own so it had a few gremlins okay were you aware that rankin now has what is akin to a jumbotron with a video on it that's crazy but hey they got they got the red devil network so that's probably what they're using for it that yeah that's probably what they're doing but it wasn't working for a few for a week i believe and they finally did get it working so if you're going to rank and look at the jump, I'm just going to call it the Jumbotron because, I mean, <laughs> what other six-man town has that? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> the Jayton uh, scoreboard at the Gridiron had some glitches. Uh, they had tested it all week, and it had worked perfectly, but that first game comes, and, of course, it's not going to work because, you know, that's Murphy's Law. Well, and, Bobby, it doesn't help. You Nobody told the scoreboard is going to be 175 degrees all three days. Well, that's right. And that sun was blaring into right where the scoreboard was. So maybe, you know, some ice packs or fans or something. You know, it's always hot in August. We know that. We live in Texas. Come on now. Uh, but uh, Santa Ana has had some scoreboard issues for the last two weeks. They just have no idea what's going on and why it won't work. But I think my favorite story is the one at Lorraine. You know, Lorraine and Ira played Friday. They were supposed to play in Lorraine, but the scoreboard wasn't working, so they moved it to Ira. Well, the Lorraine scoreboard wasn't working because of lightning. And Coach Popham had told Michael and Dency, while they were covering the game this past weekend, that um, he it, it tripped the breaker. So there was no power going to it. However, the play clocks were on and they were shining brighter than he had ever seen them. <laughs> and to get them to go off because there was so much electricity in the line from the lightning strike, he actually had to go unplug them. Uh, he's a brave human being. I'm not sure I'd have had the guts to unplug it. No, not with all that lightning circulating in there. My gosh, no. But he said that they were brighter than he had ever seen them. In. I mean, I guess they were lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> uh, Coach Poppins got to be going. After this season, nothing surprises me. They have had such a tough schedule. He's had injuries to deal with. And he's like, of course this happened. Of course. <laughs> of course we have to deal with lightning on the play clocks that makes them glow. So a B-52 bomber could probably land on the Lorraine field. <laughs> 
this is a good segue also into um, tougher than tough for week three. Now, I realize this is week four, and I'm going to tell you why week three is a little late. Um, actually, it's not, because week four hasn't been chosen by the time we record this contest or this podcast. So in week three, uh, coaches can go out to nominate a player on our 1afan.com website. It's under football and tougher than tough. And there's a little form you fill out. Um, but last week's winner for week three was Kai Vargas. He's a senior at Hermely. And he had an outstanding week three on defense. He had 18 tackles. 14 of those were solo. Four tackles for a loss. Two sacks. One forced fumble. And one fumble recovery for a TD. Coach Winter says, Kai is one of our biggest leaders. He has a motor on defense that makes us so much better when he's on the field. Friday, he showed us how and why. So congratulations to Kai Vargas if you want to see all of the Tougher Than Tough uh, winners. You can go out to our web website and it's its own webpage and you get to see their picture and everything. That's awesome. Well, and, and speaking of great players, your helmet sticker winners for week four, you had quite a few there. Yeah, we did. If you want to know why we give out helmet stickers, we just feel like it's really good to reward not only good play, Craig, but also character things, you know, like, you know, being a good sportsman, not if you have a personal foul, you're totally not eligible for the helmet sticker. Um, there's been several times where we had someone picked out and then um, had to go to our second choice because a personal foul was had, you know, at the end, of, toward the end of the game. But this week, Ethan Kaufman, we talked about his stats while ago. Uh, he's a junior for Whiteface, and from what I, from what I understand, he is an outstanding player. He's a stud. I'll just say it for you. He's a stud. I can't wait to watch him. Uh, Jose Avalos, a junior from Anton. Sean McEwen, who's a junior from Avalon. Colby Brown, freshman from Trinidad. Aiden Claxton, a sophomore from Ira. And I have to tell you this. This is so funny. Um, Dinsey didn't realize this was the same kid. But when she pulled up to the Ira field, you know, they get we get there really early so we can talk to everybody and stuff. And so she was getting stuff out of her Jeep. And this young man approached her and asked her if she needed any help. And, you know, she's a mom, so all moms have five arms because we're so used to, <laughs> you know, juggling. And, I, and eyes in the back of their head, by the way. Yeah, well, we, you know, we got all kinds of skills that no one really knows exactly how they work. But let me tell you, they're pretty good. But anyways, Dincy's got five arms and she just tells the young man, no, thank you. But but thank you for offering. And he said, are you sure, ma'am? And she said, yes. And he finally left and, and she um, went and did her thing well uh, after the game they had chosen the helmet sticker he took his helmet off and it was the very same kid Craig. wow hey there you go it, that's exactly what the helmet sticker is about it really is and she said you know she said i looked at him i was like oh you asked me you asked to help me earlier he said you know and so um she was she was pleasantly surprised it was the same kid um Going on down to Lorraine, we have Jadrian Lamones. Is that how you say that? Lamones or is it Lamones? Hey, hey, you got me. 
I mean, I can, I can say it French like, um, <laughs> but he's a senior from Lorraine. Jacob Cisneros is a senior from Jonesboro, and Isaac King, senior Newcastle. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, lots of good uh, players and choices there. And, uh, you know, you're right. That's what the helmet sticker is about. And uh, the story there with uh, Aiden Claxton, at so uh, the sophomore from Ira, that's that just uh, personifies exactly what you're looking for when you give those helmet stickers out. It is because he did that of his own volition, walked up and asked her if she needed some help. But, you know, speaking of whiteface, let's go back a bit. Uh, the whiteface band. Stephen was extremely impressed with the Whiteface Band. They played at halftime. And they have a ton of mil members, and he said that they play very well. He could even hear them over his headphones that he was using for broadcasting. And he said that they also have, uh, I got a picture of this from a fan of Whiteface Band, and they were very impressed, but the band has bass guitars that are part of their band. How cool is that? That is, that is way cool. You see that in the bigger bands, but you don't necessarily always see that in the smaller ones. That's right. You don't. Um, and this year, Craig, you know, every other year this happens. 1A is eligible to compete at state marching band this year. Um, and it takes place at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio and the prelims of state marching will be Tuesday, November 7th in the morning and in the in the evening, the finals will happen. So that's coming. That's going to be here before you know it. Here we are. We are sort of mid September going off the backside. And before we know it, it's going to be November. It's crazy. It, how time fast passes so quickly. Yeah, I know you're, you're right there. And I always look forward to that. I, th I think, uh, Class 1A band members, as much as any of the 1A through 6A, what they do is really, really cool because a lot of these bands don't have, you know, if they've got 30 members, they're considered to be a really big band in Class 1A. And so it's just really neat to see. And when you get to hear them compete and you hear how well some of those bands are, it's just it's just a really cool thing. It really is. And I love going to state marching contests. It is a really, really neat event to go and witness. Okay, so lots of things were a little off kilter. You know, I do the Facebook and all the communication and all the stuff for Texas 1A fan. Well, I was moving houses, and I have to give a shout-out to some six-man player alums. Connor Sperry, I think you might know him. Maybe. I John, might call him. <laughs> John Lopez and Kyler Pepper. Shout out to these guys for helping me move. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate their help. They were even willing to step over my 100-pound dog, Biggie, put beds together, and haul in many boxes. I believe, you know, we have all had to move really heavy furniture. I had one piece that was heavy. It's my grandmother's hutch. I think well, that's because it was made of real wood. Oh, yeah. It was like made 100 years ago or something <laughs> crazy like that. But it was almost the undoing of all of us. Uh, but it's in its place, and I hope to never have to move that thing again. And <laughs> I know I know, if I ever ask to move, Connor, John, and Kyler are probably going to tell me, you know, I, I think I have something going on at that time. But <laughs> they were great. They were just great. So I had to give a shout out to them. 
Well, that's a, that's a good job by those three guys. And as you say, you know, they might tell you no, but there's a reason why you picked young men from six man land, because you know what, Bobby, I know they wouldn't tell you no. Well, not only that, but I know that they're hard workers. They have a great work ethic. I know that because I know where these three men come from and they will bend over backwards to help you do anything they can. And so um, that's why I'm number one, very impressed with all three of them. And number two, I just appreciate them so very much. Well, that's awesome. We're glad to see you get moved and kind of see you more back on Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter because, uh, Hey, we, we miss those things. You don't realize how much you're missed until you're not there, Bobby. Well, you know, it's hard when you don't have internet for a few days <laughs> and it's hard to do it on your phone. But yes, I am so glad to be back to normal now. And, you know, I promise things will be timely starting now. All right. Well, we're going to hold you to that. Hey, before we get out of here, one last thing. Let's talk about volleyball, and that is the TGCA volleyball poll that came out on September 11th. Um, and no surprise, Blum at the top of this one at 23-3. and three. Benjamin second, 21-4. and four. As you say, they do more than play football there. Neches, 20-5. and five. Dodd City, Avalon, they round out the top five. Then the Herald Hornets, or I guess it'd be the Herald Lady Hornets. Round top, Carmine, McMullen County, Bront, and Grayford round out the top 10. And, uh, you know, it's just you see some back and forth movement, but some really cool to see some teams in there that you don't always see in football have uh, lots of success or, or, or different things. But, uh, you know, volleyball is a big thing. It really is. Yes. And I was going to put this out there and this last week was so crazy. So I'll say it next week. But there are three players from Blum who set records for kills like 300 or more in their careers. And there were all, three of them, not just one, three. So um, I'll be looking that up and researching that. I'll get a, I, I, I'll get a picture and we will get that information out there for everybody because that's, that's pretty impressive. You know, Blum is just sitting right there in that number one spot Benjamin has snuck up a few spots since we started doing the podcast in August. So they are steadily gaining speed. I wonder if Benjamin and Blum might play before the playoffs. Ooh, that'd be a good one to see. It would be. It would be very much so. Grayford, Bront. Bront used to always be up there. You know, they're just sticking around there, but they're moving up. So good luck to all 10 of these teams. If you'd like to see the top 25, it is on the TGCA website. Uh, I'm also going to get it on our volleyball page. So you can either go straight to TGCA or you can go to ours and um, see the top 25. Well, and, and one of the teams in the top 10 here in volleyball is a great way for us to finish the podcast out. I'm going to give you my Lehman Saunders note of the week, and that is the Herald Hornets. So Harold defeated Derazette yesterday over in Claude, uh, a whole bunch to not enough. I don't have the score exactly in front of me. I think it was 60 to 14 was the final score, but I could be wrong on that one. Neither here nor there. The Hornets before this year from 2012 to 2022, Bobby, had started every single year 0 
and three. This year, after yesterday's Dares that win, they are now four and zero oh on the season. That's your stat of the week, and and great to see the uh, Herald Hornets there having some success after a really long stretch of, of not a whole lot. Yeah, congratulations, Harold. You know, keep it going, keep it going, guys. You could be you could be five and zero oh next week. Um, I'm oh. all about the positive. You know, give it to them, guys. Yeah, you're right. That is a long stretch. Ten years. That's that's too long, actually. Yeah. It, and it, so I'm pretty proud of those Harold Hornets. Well, and Lehman Saunders is proud of me for digging that one up. So, you know, he probably is because <laughs> I was going to give you a big spiel today about Vance Jones and all his wins and stuff, but we've had a little um a little argument about that. So <laughs> You know, <laughs> Lehman and I argue sometimes, but, um, but Lehman's working on that and we'll probably have that for next week's podcast. You know, Vance Jones, he is the legend in six man football. He's currently the coach at Balmeray and, um, he's doing a bang up job. Oh, and by the way, for everybody who listens to the end of this podcast, Balmeray will be running on all cylinders this next week. Just FYI. Well, that is a great place to end this one at because Balmeray is one of my games of the week. They take on Buena Vista, so that makes that game interesting. Knox City and Kroll, I don't know. The two might put up like 3,000 points in that ball game. It might. Klondike and Ira. Hey, how about this one? Highland and Borden County doing battle. That will be a great ball game. Follett and Booker. A rivalry that goes back decades. They're finally uh, back together in the same division, this time in six-man. And then uh, how about this one? Jayton and Silverton going at it. Some really good ball games on the horizon. Get out to a football stadium near you. You don't want to miss it. Lots of great action out there. Look for somebody from Texas 1A fan. If you can't get to a ballpark, Tune in to a broadcast on Texas 1A Fan. You don't want to miss it. But uh, until next week, let's get out of here. I'm Craig Spirit with Happy Sports Network and PressPassSports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Remember, go forward and do good.